You're listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast, a discussion about living and loving like Jesus in the midst of a post-Christian culture. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Welcome to Babylon podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Morning, Keith. Hey, good morning, Phil. Well, we have made it, the final episode of this podcast series. Man, I'm so excited, and what a great day yesterday with our question and answer session uh, here at the church. How do you think it went? Yeah, I really like these opportunities to hear from our folks. And based on the questions that they asked, I really do feel like this, uh, this teaching series hit home in a relevant way. And I've got a lot of good feedback across the last couple of months where we've been in this series. I just really feel like we're meeting people right where they're living their lives. And, uh, and these are very relevant questions. These are not just hypothetical, yeah, buts, or what ifs. I mean, th- these are real world questions. So I-, I love doing these question and answer sessions. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I thought it was great. Some great questions and excited to jump into some of the ones that maybe we didn't get to hit on yesterday. So while this is going to wrap up the final episode of this series, uh, we want our listeners to stay tuned until the end because we maybe give a preview of something coming. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, with that said, let's go ahead and jump right into some of the questions that were asked that we didn't get to touch on yesterday. And Phil, one of those, um, one of our uh, one of our folks says, "Thank you for talking about the return of Jesus. Do you see current events as fulfillment of end times prophecies?" Well, that's a great question, and I'm very grateful that uh, people were listening when we were talking about the return of Jesus. You know, as we said in our podcast, I believe it was last week or the week before. Uh, you know, the pendulum has kind of shifted in many ways away from an emphasis on the return of Christ, whereas 40 or 50 years ago, that might have been a massive part of what you heard. So, yeah, let's talk about this. So, first of all, I think we can categorize uh, current events and, and, uh, and, and, and things that we're seeing in this world in terms of end times prophecies in two ways. One is kind of just generally the trends that we're seeing in the world, and then secondly would be very event-specific, driven type uh, type question. So, you know, I, I actually borrowed this from uh, Pastor David Jeremiah, who is no stranger to end times prophecies and teaching on that to- on that topic. And he was talking about some of the things that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24, some of the specific signs that Jesus mentioned. So, for example, the sign of deception, Matthew 24, 4 and 5, where Jesus said, "See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray." And certainly, we see that in the world a sign of uh, disputes among nations, uh, Matthew 24, 6 and 7, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Again, certainly we're seeing that, and it feels like there's an escalation in that as well. A sign of devastation, Matthew 24, 7, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Interesting to note that the frequency and magnitude of earthquakes over the last 100 years uh, really does point to it, to an increasing uh, towards something. Uh, the sign of deliverance into tribulation, Matthew 24, 9. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations uh, for my name's sake. Uh, certainly, again, we see uh, an, an increase antagonism toward Christians, and not in America exclusively. Certainly, we see it even worse in other places in the world. And there's all kinds of other things. I mean, you know, Matthew 24, Jesus goes on to talk about how the hearts of many will grow cold. 
among other things. So yes, I do believe we are headed toward a climax uh, in terms of the trends. The second category would be more specific events. And I, I'm very hesitant to put my finger on very specific calendar events and say, oh, this is it. This is it. Just for example, when I was in college uh, over in Israel, Yitzhak Rabin was, uh, was uh, assassinated. And so a lot of the uh, you know, end times folks here in the United States, uh, just again, random thought, but I do remember Pastor John Hagee, who was a huge end times dude, wrote an entire book called The Assassination of Yitzhak Rabin and the Coming Antichrist. You know, so again, trying to put your finger on a specific event. Another thing you hear a lot about now and again is a red heifer. And you might wonder, what in the world does a red heifer have to do with the end times? Well, under certain end times uh, scenarios, certainly uh, the dispensational end time scenarios, there, there, will, there will ultimately be an establishment of a third Jewish temple. First Jewish temple, of course, was Solomon's temple. Second temple was the temple that came out of the post-exilic years and really culminated with Herod's temple that was destroyed in AD 70. The third temple, uh, according to many, will be rebuilt in Jerusalem sometime in the future, and the entire sacrificial system will be reintroduced. Uh, there's, reportedly, there's hundreds of young men training for the, the high priesthood right now in Israel. And the whole idea of a red heifer is in, uh, I believe it's Numbers 19, uh, and other places in the scripture talk about the necessity of having a sacrificed red heifer and the ashes of a red heifer that would provide uh, a, a cleansing for corpse impurity. In other words, you can't be a priest unless you have gone through that type of impurity. So sometimes you will hear, or hear about red, pure red heifers being shipped to Israel as a sign of this pending third temple being built. Of course, that's a kind of a problem because there's a, there's a giant uh, Muslim mosque right there on the Dome of the Rock right now where the temple was. So obviously there's going to have to be some cataclysmic things that take place before that, that temple can be rebuilt and uh, the services reinstituted. So yes, I do believe we are seeing trends that point us toward the climax, although I'm a little hesitant to put my finger on specific things taking place and saying, this is it, this is it. Right. Man, that that's so good. And you know, with that in mind, we talked about just having an urgency because we really, we really don't know uh, the details. So every day that we have living with that urgency in mind, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so another question that was asked is um, someone said, I agree that using marijuana and uh, homosexual activity and stuff like that are wrong. But who am I to tell people at school or in other places that they are wrong if they choose to do them? Well, that's a great question, and I can only assume based on the wording that this was uh, submitted by a student, maybe a high school student or maybe even a middle school student. And again, the younger you are, the more you're going to have proximity to anything and everything in the world right now. And, uh, and, and so I think it's very important, again, just as with all of our questions, we ask, what does the Bible say? I think it's a good way to start out in terms of looking at Jesus' statement in Mark 12, for example, uh, where someone came to Jesus and asked, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, why do I quote that? I quote that because if we're going to engage anybody in the world today on any of these topics, our underlying motive has to be love. It has to be a love for our neighbor. 
we can't engage from a from a self-righteous moralistic uh, you know mountaintop and just cast bombs at people but we always have to question is my motive love and I think if I was talking to a student right now I'd say you know I don't think the first step is to engage one of your one of your classmates by sticking your finger in their chest and, and tell them how morally wrong they are and corrupt they are uh, I, I think it's good to approach this from a loving perspective. Certainly there are times to speak those harder words of truth, but I think the initial conversation ought to be taken up more of a, as a position of love. Case in point, you know, when you look at any of these topics, I mean, you don't have to do a ton of research to recognize that so many of the things that God says are wrong are wrong because they're harmful. I mean, they are, they are downright harmful. For example, I mean, marijuana right now... It, Everybody and his brother says, what's wrong with smoking weed? What's wrong with marijuana? And, of course, the uh, issue four on the Arkansas ballot was just defeated, but we, we, we were potentially looking at the floodgates opening on cannabis and marijuana just flooding our streets practically in, uh, in Arkansas. But think about it. Some of the things that, that, that I mean, hard science tells us, uh, using marijuana can detrimentally affect the developing teenage brain, especially the teenage brain in, in anyone younger than 25. Uh, increases depression in users in many cases, increased anxiety, believe it or not. I mean, we always talk about how people are so mellow when they're, you know, when they're using marijuana, but it actually can lead to increased anxiety. Five times more likely to develop some form of psychosis, problems with memory and cognitive function, lung damage, cardiovascular and heart damage, slows the production of testosterone, and 30% of users develop a marijuana use disorder. So, I think the loving thing to do is to go to someone who's using marijuana and say, hey, man, I, I think you ought to consider this. I mean, because I don't know that this is a good thing for you. What about sex outside of God's design? We've often said sex is like a fire, right? Sex is like a fire. Throw another log on the fire. I'm kind of famous around here now for saying that. But, but sex is also designed by God to be burned in a certain context. Metaphorically speaking, it's the fireplace or the fire pit or the fire ring on a campsite. You don't just randomly set fires here, there, and everywhere in the woods or in your house, you'll burn, you'll burn everything down, right? So, so there, there, is a, there is a design, but all you have to do is point to so many of the negative side effects that come with sex outside of God's design. Again, from a loving perspective, you're not, you're not preaching at people necessarily. I mean, you're not trying to beat people over the head with the Bible, but simply to say, hey, man, I, just, I think you ought to consider some of, the, some of the downsides of this, whether it's physically or emotionally. I mean, there, there's physical and emotional damage whenever we step outside of God's design for sex and, and, and sexual activity. And, and by the way, that goes for sex before marriage, sex outside of heterosexual marriage, same-sex activity, anything outside of, of that committed marriage relationship between a man and a woman, sex can produce some significant uh, detrimental effects. Uh, drinking, you know, again, I mean, if I was a high school student, and I, I, if I wasn't drinking, I would probably feel like I was in the minority. But I think some of the, some of the data out there is just, I mean, it's very telling. Uh, for example, I pulled this from CNN.com just a few weeks ago. British researchers found that there was no safe level of drinking, meaning that consuming any amount of alcohol, that's from the, from the study, was worse than not drinking. They also found no evidence that the type of drink, such as wine, spirits, or beer, affected the harm done to the brain. Many people drink moderately and think this is either harmless or even protective. The risks of alcohol have long been known. Previous studies have found that there's no amount of liquor, wine, or beer that is safe for your overall health. 
Furthermore, alcohol was the leading risk factor for disease and premature death in men and women between the ages of 15 and 49 worldwide, accounting for nearly one in 10 deaths. So again, if I was to come to any of my peers and say, you know, here's the deal, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, you know, a, a, a Pharisee in your life or anything and just trying to beat you over the head, but man, I, you ought to think about this. This is not necessarily as good for you as you think it is, you know, whether it's for the emotional fun or, or even the physical part of it too. So there's, there's just so many ways that we could approach these topics and simply out of, out of a loving concern for other people, uh, encourage them to think about alternatives. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Now, I'm glad that you brought that up, um, particularly, you know, because the science definitely supports, you know, what the Bible says, and I think those are important conversations to have. Um, but I'm really glad that you brought up the greatest commandment, right, to <clears throat> to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because, you know, the way that I grew up, a lot of the times the way these things were approached was, well, it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, because the Bible says it is. Um, but the reality is for a lot of people in the, in the culture these days, you can tell them that, but quite frankly, they may not even care what the Bible has to say um, because they don't, they don't give it the authority in their lives. That's and right. so introducing them to Jesus is, is quite often the, the most effective thing that we can do. Well, let me, and, and let me just say this. Yes, I mean, at Crossgate Church, it has hopefully become a part of our culture that we're simply going to always go back and say, what does the Bible say? But I also recognize I'm not so naive to think that everyone thinks that's a big deal, right? And so to be able to bring some, some very reasonable uh, arguments, not just, hey, here's chapter and verse, but here's some very reasonable arguments that even secular people agree with in terms of why this is not a good thing for you. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, moving on to our next question here. Someone said, we want our kids to follow Jesus, uh, but we're so busy and we need uh, to keep, we feel like we need to keep up uh, so our kids won't miss out on all the opportunities. How can we balance all of these demands? Wow. Well, we certainly live in a world where I think everyone's exhausted. I mean, I honestly, I don't know that I've talked to too many people in the last several months who actually feel like they're well-rested. I mean, everybody you talk to, how are you doing? Oh, man, we're so busy. We're just so busy. I mean, it is, it is a chronic sign of the times. Well, again, what does the Bible say? Okay, so Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and, and all these other things. Well, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Other things like what? Like all the things that people were worried about, right? Uh, Ephesians 6, 4, we're, we're talking in the context of parenting here. Uh, the command is to raise your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's the parent's priority. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. What's them? Well, it's the precepts and teachings of the Word of God. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So again, it talks about a parent's priority. It doesn't say that's the only thing you should teach your kids, but there's a priority there. Uh, on the flip side... Mark 8.36, Jesus said, What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? So there is a spiritual priority, no doubt about it, in the Bible for parents. Again, doesn't mean that, that you can't pursue all kinds of different things. I mean, we want our kids to, to, to succeed academically and you know, whatever extracurricular activities they have. But, but, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's the combination, or should I say the comparison, between the best and the good. You know, and the old saying goes that, that the good becomes bad when it, when it prevents you from, and keeps you from the best. Uh, so, so what's the challenge? Well, 
I think we all realize that the, the big elephant in the room here is, is, is our kids' activities, right? I mean, certainly they need to go to school and they need to do their studies, but it's all of the other demands that, that, the, that the culture, and I just, I, I think it is, it's, it's incredibly high here in Garland County. I mean, I'm not sure why it just seems so especially high here, but I mean, you know, the, the kids' activities, kids' sports in many ways have gone off the rails in terms of the demands they place on kids, and I'm talking about elementary school kids, right? Just even second and third graders. I mean, oh, you're going to play second and third grade football. You're going to play this. You're going to play that. I mean, all of a sudden, you've signed on for a almost a full-time job as a mom and dad just to keep up with this, and, you're, and the kids are just as exhausted as you are. The challenge is, you know, no one's willing to say that the emperor has no clothes on. Everyone just kind of goes along with it and assumes that, well, if I'm a parent in this day and age, my kid's got to be involved in 10 different activities and we're going to have no rest for the next 10 years, but eventually it'll taper off. You know, once, once our kids get out of the house or whatever, no one's willing to blink first. You know, I think one local school district here, they put out the schedule for, I think it, I think it was a second grade football team at one of the school districts and they're going to have practice and games on Wednesday nights and they're going to have all these things on the weekends and... And uh, it's just, wow, I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. So a couple ideas uh, just, just for parents out there. First of all, to, to quote um, uh, Nancy Reagan from the 1980s, just say no. I, not that any parent needs my permission for anything, but listener, let me tell you something. You have my permission to say no to some of these activities that are clamoring for your time and your family's calendar space. Uh, do you struggle in saying no, how many parents and how many people we know would say, you know what, I have a hard time saying no to things. Okay, well, the challenge is that if, if you have a hard time saying no to things and you just get on this train and ride it with everybody else, guess what? All you're doing is training your children to have the same problem you have. They're not going to be able to say no either. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. And, and yes, as a parent, you've got to have some self-control to be able to say, it's okay if we don't do everything and we're not constantly running and getting tired and being worn down. So then, of course, some parents will say, well, if my kid is not involved in all of these activities and they're not constantly on the go, they're going to miss out on some tremendous life opportunities. Really? Well, I mean, who's, who's ultimately got oversight of your child? You or the Lord? I mean, in other words, can you trust God to, to have his will and, and, and produce his, his, his desired results in your child, even if they're not in every possible activity and every possible opportunity, I think they will probably be okay. And at the same time, what are you missing out on? What are you selling over here on the, on the one hand in order to pursue all these other things on the other hand? The other thing I hear parents sometimes say is, well, we're super busy and yeah, you're right, Pastor, we have kind of put church on the back burner a little bit, but it's only for a season. It's only for a season because, you know, eventually we'll get past this and then we'll be able to get back to normal. Well, the problem is that, yes, it's only a season, and, and the season you're talking about is the most formative and influential years in the life of your child. So how and who is going gonna, is gonna to get the lion's share and the priority? Again, I'm not down on activities. My kids do sports, my kids do activities and so forth. But my wife and I decided a long time ago, I mean, the, the calendar and certainly the, the calendar of, of all of these activities is not going to rule our family. Uh, and, and, and we're going to say no to some things. And we're certainly going to prioritize the Lord and not just because I'm the pastor, right? I mean, I'm not some harsh legalist about this. And there's been some times when, 
We've made exceptions for our kids to be able to go do something by exception on a Wednesday night or, or whatever. But, I mean, my kids know, look, I mean, if it's Sunday, we're going to be in church. And if it's Wednesday night, we're going to be in church. I mean, that's just that's a priority in our home. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I love that, you know, sometimes it it's right for us to say no to good things so that we can say yes to the better things. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, well, another question that was asked uh, is, Phil, what would you say to people who thought this series was too political? Um, and then in the same vein, it says, and what would you say to young people with so many different voices speaking into them? Well, that's a great question. And of course, you know, when you describe something as political, that's pretty subjective because I'm sure there were, there were a lot of people in our church that wished we would have gotten more political. You know, so, okay, so in what way was the series too political? I, I would have to ask that follow-up question because, you know, in reality, when you look at it, we only spent one sub-point of one sermon in the whole series talking about political participation. Yes, we talked about it, okay? We, we absolutely went there because it's important that we, that we do that. But we certainly didn't intend for the series to be overly political. In fact, I'm, I'm very guarded against that because I never want to be known as a political church. I don't want to be known as a political pastor. I mean, I want to be known as a Jesus pastor, you know, and focusing on the gospel. Uh, I would say just because we're discussing contemporary topics, that doesn't mean that we're getting political, right? It just means we're discussing contemporary topics. And on top of that, why would God ordain government and then tell his people to stay out of it? Or leave it to the lost people to run the government. Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So, Keith, you'll remember when we talked about uh, political participation, and we framed it in terms of the difference between political idolatry and political apathy. Political idolatry is where someone is so focused, and I'm talking about a Christian now, a Christian who is so focused on the political process, so focused on keeping up with politics, so focused on getting the vote out there, and, and so focused on ensuring that we get the right people elected that they, that they neglect the fact that there's things more important than the political process. On the other hand, in many cases, that's generational. Older folks tend to be probably a little more politically motivated and, and, and mindful. Younger generations, and I would say definitely our Gen Z folks and some millennials, probably would lean more toward political apathy, where they have been sick and tired of, of too much politics in the church and, and so forth, and now they're just, they're just tired of it, right? So there's more of a, oh, there's an election coming up? Eh, I might vote, I might not. It's not that big of a deal, okay? That's political apathy. I think both are, are, are a wrong way to look at things because, let's face it, elections matter. I mean, elections have massive impacts on even on us as Christians in the church, the lives of the unborn, among other things. And so we absolutely need to be invested and engaged and, and utilizing this, this wonderful gift that we have of our, of our right to vote that God has given us. So what words can I offer to young people? Well, I would point them to the Scripture. What does the Bible say? Just like I would point anyone else to the Scripture. You know, never tr trust a voice over a verse. We've said that many times here. And so I always try to get people to go back to the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say. And don't go beyond it, but don't fall short of it either. Well, speaking of, you know, political, that kind of cues up our last question. Can someone vote Democrat and still truly be a Christian? Yes, seriously, this was a question, okay? And, and we're, we're laughing a little bit because, I mean, I, I can understand why someone would ask that question, okay? Let's, let's face it. 
Uh, we, we, we are in a two-party system in the United States. We certainly have independents, and then there's a few other little parties out there. But primarily, your two biggest choices are Democrat and Republican. All right? But, but, but the fact is, I mean, first of all, let, let, me, let me try to tease it out a little bit in terms of what I think is being asked here. Okay? If the question is, can someone be saved if they're a Democrat, or if someone is a Democrat, are they truly saved? Okay? The, what does the Bible say? Right? Okay, Romans 10, 9, 9 through 10 and verse 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have, have eternal life. Now, I don't see anything in those verses about political affiliation. Zero. I mean, so is, is your... Political affiliation a prerequisite for salvation? No. Uh, is, is your political affiliation uh, required in some way? Or, or, or is salvation a requirement to have a particular affiliation? No. I mean, there, there's no correspondence between whether you're a Republican or a Democrat in terms of salvation. That's just there's no way that that's true. So I personally don't think that's, that's the question that the person was asking, but I wanted to put that to bed. So I think the real question is, can a Democrat be a spiritually mature follower of Jesus? Or, on the other hand, will a spiritually mature follower of Jesus vote Democrat, right? Now that's a bigger question because, you know, now you're going to have to actually, uh, you know, assess these parties on their merits, okay? Uh, I, I, I have quoted John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur, a couple times in, in this series specifically regarding the, the political piece. And I think part of what he said before, and I'm going to bring another quote in too, is worth uh, stating. So he talked about the 2016 election. I didn't vote for Donald Trump per se. In, in other words, what he's saying is he did vote for Donald Trump, but he didn't primarily cast a vote for Donald Trump. Uh, rather, he said he voted for a worldview. I voted for an ideology that's closer to Scripture. So what he's saying is I voted Republican because I felt like the Republican Party's platform, listen to this, was closer to Scripture regarding personal responsibility in industry that gave a place for God. And, of course, Keith, you may remember a few years ago the Democrats uh, debated at their national convention whether they were even going to include the word God in their platform. I mean, that's okay. That, that's a huge issue right there, okay? Then um, John MacArthur said, The worldview I voted for understands the importance of the traditional family for cultural stability. Okay, again, I mean, which which party is probably leaning more towards supporting the the traditional family as a core uh, piece of cultural stability, whereas what what party is probably wanting to take a sledgehammer you know, as much as possible to a, to the concept of the traditional family. Yes, this does to some degree fall along party lines. All right. Furthermore, John MacArthur says it, it understands that the role of government is primarily to carry a sword, to punish evildoers, and to protect those who do well. And then he, he kind of jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, says not to arrest those drinking from a plastic straw. Okay, now in another message, in another address, John MacArthur said this, quote, there is no way that a Christian could affirm the slaughter of babies homosexual activity, and I think what he's saying is a a spiritually mature Christian could affirm the slaughter of babies, homosexual activities, homosexual marriage of any kind of gross immorality. No way we could stand behind a candidate who is affirming transgender behavior, which of course is really the reprobate mind of Romans chapter 1. Okay, so I, I think what John MacArthur is kind of getting at here is that if someone is truly following Jesus, and I mean seriously trying to align themselves with the Word of God, they're going to have some serious problems with, with the platform of the Democratic Party. OK, 
Okay, so that that's how I would how I would frame it. I would not just come up with some flat out categorical statement. Can someone vote Democrat and be a true Christian? I would like to say, if 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 someone was growing in their faith and truly wanting to align themselves with with the clear teaching of the Scripture, without some progressive or liberal, you know, reimagining of what the Bible actually does say, uh, I. I I think they're going to have a really hard time getting enthusiastic about the Democratic platform. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for hitting on that. And we have we have gone long today, uh, but I think that's okay because this is our our last episode of this podcast. Man, what a joy it's been to to be on this podcast with you, Phil. Some great topics, and I know we we still haven't hit on all of the questions, but definitely got a good portion of them in. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Hey, do you want to give us a little preview of what's next? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, Keith, I really appreciate you hosting this podcast, and of course course, our ever, uh, you know, excellent behind-the-scenes guru, Byron Lee, all things yes. technology at Crossgate Church, who's, who's, really, who's really the mastermind behind these, these podcasts. I can't tell you how much we appreciate Byron. But yeah, so in January, Keith and I are going to launch uh, a, a new podcast simply called the More and Better Disciples Podcast. And so each week, rather than doing a discussion that's based on that week's sermon, we're going to do a podcast where we're simply going to talk about any given topic related to making either more disciples or making better disciples. So one week we may drill down on the importance of scripture memory, uh, specifically when the, within a disciple groups, uh, discipleship group setting. Uh, one week we may talk about how to effectively share your testimony, or one week we may talk about uh, the current Bible reading plan that we're doing and we, when we're using at Crossgate Church. So it's going to be great. Every week we're going to equip uh, Jesus' followers to do exactly what we say we do at Crossgate Church, and that is to make more and better disciples. Can't wait to have you all join us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. That's all the time we have for today. Hope you have a great week, and we will see you in 2023. Amen. God bless, Keith. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, visit us on our website, crossgate.org, or on all of our social media channels.